0: Can clean tech startups save the planet? Welcome to Climate One, changing the conversation about America's energy, economy, and environment. On today's program, news from the front lines of the clean tech revolution.
1: So it's not only, you know, solar, wind, tidal, and so on, but it's actually the way we use energy, the way we conserve energy, the way we figure out better ways to to use the
0: resources that we currently have. Creative startups are coming up with fresh, climate-friendly ideas for getting around town powering your cell phones, and even eating breakfast.
2: Milk, yogurts, cheeses, it turns out there's a lot of carbon embedded in that production ecosystem. So if you can just take cows out of the dairy equation, uh, then you can actually save a lot of energy and impact climate change.
0: Today on Climate One, Greg Dalton digs into some of the exciting new ideas coming our way from the world of clean tech. His guests represent three companies that are already in on the ground floor. Two are venture capitalist firms with a front row seat to the fresh ideas needed to power our economy, and one is a startup that's developing new and better ways to understand our environment. Gabriel Krah is Managing Director at Prelude Ventures, Lydia Dervisheva is an Associate at G2VP, and Davida Herzl is the Co-Founder and CEO of Aclima. Here's Greg Dalton.
3: Davida, let's begin with you. Um, Climate infrastructure is often by government scientists for government scientists, and you're kind of democratizing that with hyperlocal data. So tell us how Aclama is doing that.
4: So we're we're filling the critical need around the world for hyperlocal emissions and pollution data. Now that we know that we are facing a climate crisis that is intricately connected with health uh, impacts from those same emissions, we need data hyper-locally to really understand and manage those emissions, right? The foundation of managing risk is measurement. And so we're leveraging a lot of advances in technology that we all hear about every day, from ubiquitous computing to ubiquitous communications, the capability now to really shrink sensors down to something that can fit in the palm of your hand, and merging all of those technologies together together, to be able to build distributed sensor networks that measure all of the pollutants that are important for human health or that impact human health, all of the core greenhouse gases, and be able to do it at a fraction of the cost from traditional methods and do it in a way uh, that that makes that data broadly accessible for decision makers, for citizens, to really empower the kind of change that we need to see around the world.
3: So tell us a little bit about how you're doing that. You're putting sensors on cars that that drive around neighborhoods?
4: Yes. Yeah, so last year, we uh, we published the results of a major study in partnership with our partners at Google, um, the Environmental Defense Fund, and the University of Texas, um, where we proved that our methodology, where we take our sensing platform, uh, what we refer to as our environmental intelligence platform, instrument vehicles, and then drive around communities and cities to be able to take a, a, a snapshot of pollution at sort of the urban scale, but at high Local resolution. So we can understand emissions down to the scale of a parcel. We can understand risk uh, to pollution exposure down to that level.
3: And do some companies who are emitting pollution, are they trying to push back against? Because that kind of transparency hasn't been available before, right? So are the polluters pushing back?
4: So, you know, I think uh, what's, what's happening is that um, industry is really coming to terms with the fact that these new technologies are becoming broadly available. And instead of pushing back, what we're really seeing is, one, a hunger and a desire to really um, understand this data, because in many instances, it can actually help companies reduce their own emissions, uh, but also I think uh, uh, there's been a massive gap in the marketplace for this kind of environmental risk data, right? Environmental risk is now financial risk, um, not just to society at large, but to a lot of these companies and the emitters themselves uh, who now are, are embracing this development and really engaging in conversation with us. That's, that's, that's the approach that we're, that we're taking and seeing.
3: Gabriel Craw, uh you invested in a company called Ripple Foods uh, by a couple of uh, veteran entrepreneurs. Tell us what they're doing, trying to do Ripple Foods. Sure. Um, well,
2: Ripple Foods makes uh, pea milk um, and a lot of other non-dairy products. The, the two founders, each of whom were successful entrepreneurs, took a look at how uh, dairy is produced. Dair- milk, yogurts, cheeses. It turns out there's a lot of carbon embedded in, in that production ecosystem. Raising cows takes a lot of energy and carbon, and then cows produce a lot of uh, methane in how they uh, digest in their their food. So if you can just take cows out of the dairy equation, uh, then you can actually save a lot of energy and impact climate change. But you're not going to do that just by telling people to, to drink something that doesn't taste good. So Neil and Adam, uh, make a delicious, frothy, uh, nutritious milk product that is made entirely out of plant protein. Um, and so this thing, this, this company, it impacts tons of people's lives. It, we, get, we get calls, we get testimonies from parents who are saying, wow, my kids couldn't drink milk and now they have a delicious product that they want to drink. But we don't want to just go after the, the part of the market that was already drinking dairy uh, alternatives. We're going after the mainstream market. Um, and we're we now have milks. We have uh, traditional milk or unsweetened milk. We have chocolate milk. We have uh, vanilla milk. Uh, we have uh, yogurts that are launching. We have uh, a half and half, mm-hmm. and not only are we we selling this, but we're, we're saving uh, CO2 and we're we're making a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of for us the best kind of thing, the best kind of company to invest in. Great entrepreneurs, a huge opportunity just in the United States. Dairy is. Milk is a $79, $80 billion market. Forget yogurt and cheese and all this other stuff. It has huge impacts on climate and it has great positive
3: benefits for people's lives. Uh-huh. Lydia Dervasheva uh, a lot of wealth is expected to be created in this transition from the fossil fuel economy to a cleaner economy. And yet Silicon Valley kind of walked away from clean energy. Tell right. us about that.
1: <clears throat> sure. Um, so... uh, the fund that I work for is called G2VP, G2 Venture Partners. And we spun off from the Green Growth Fund at Kleiner Perkins, which used to be um, the Cleantech Fund started back in 2008 at the dawn of Cleantech when um, everybody was investing in solar, in new biochemicals, biofuels. And that was kind of where um, all the hype was. And what ended up happening is that a lot of these investments didn't really uh, transform into these, you know, unicorns that everybody was expecting. Um, not everybody made their returns. In fact, many people lost a lot of money. And that sort of led to this second generation, the Cleantech 2.0 movement. Um, that's one way to call it, which is is sort of like a re- new way of thinking of what Cleantech means and what you can... Uh, Perceive as clean tech, so it's not only the way we generate energy So it's not only you know solar wind tidal, and fusion and so on But it's actually the way we use energy the way we conserve energy the way um, We figure out better ways to to use the resources that we currently have and that's where a lot of new interesting business models come in And that's where what what we are focusing at G2 is how do we leverage these new business models? How do we um, you know create? new new exciting startups out of technologies that already exist, but applied apply them in a new creative way uh, with you know amazing teams and and scale these these companies
3: great and so gabrielle crowd let's talk there in terms of like different kinds of capital she mentioned institutional capital there's foundations there's universities you know categorize kind of you know where the, the big buckets of money and how they're playing are they involved in this clean tech 2.0 or are they just sitting out because the smart people got burned where are they Gabriel uh.
2: the whole the whole institutional capital value chain. I'll try and summarize that quickly. But there there are, uh, you know, at the earliest stages of of company formation, there's folks like us, venture capital firms. There's still a bunch who are still doing uh, a round and B rounds, the first institutional money Mm -hmm. before those. There's a lot of angel investors or seed investors. And Uh, There's there's sort of an ecosystem of them. Many of those are either individuals who have a lot of wealth uh, and want to invest in either any kind of super early stage company or also people who raised money, you know, in a limited partnership arrangement, a traditional fund structure. But to do very early stage stuff where we're seeing new entrants, where we're seeing people who weren't necessarily driving a lot of capital into the sector in the. You know, that first wave in the in the aughts. we're seeing a lot of corporate ventures who are getting very smart and very sophisticated in partnering with us. Uh, you know, there's everybody from uh, big chemical companies have have venture firms. Uh, the big, big software companies have venture firms that are venture arms. Excuse me. Uh, some of the oil majors have them. You know, there's this steady supply group of investors that come in either right at the same time as that we come in or even with us or a little bit later and then later funds, bigger strategics, uh, sovereign wealth funds are getting involved. I think there's some traditional venture capital that is now returning to the sector, and then when you're doing projects, uh, you know it's, there's infrastructure funds. There's big banks who have infrastructure investment arms, and, and they help fund the projects. They help fund the the plants. And, and there's still a gap. You know, that you, 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 there's still this sort of traditional venture valley of death where you 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 don't want to fund something on your equity with the company with the money that was invested in the capital but in the company excuse me but you don't have enough proof points to say let's raise 150 million dollars to build this plant on what's essentially a debt (laughs) instrument and 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 that's still one of the places where 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 we're, we're looking for new investors to to come in and help help us but those that that group of institutional investors, corporate investors, strategic partners, people who want to own those plants and assets are are coming in. And, and I'm talking about what, what you were talking about. These are the still the more capital intensive, the, the more software oriented businesses don't have that. As much of a challenge
3: good summary of the the value chain in 90 (laughs) seconds gosh Um, thank you uh, lydia uh you know uh, gabriel mentioned super majors are are you finding that there's some uh energy companies that might be threatened by the transition that are investing to find a little hedge to get information or you know you're raising a fund now i don't know what you can tell Mm -hmm. us about who's who's you know who are the players who's coming forward with capital for something that is not no longer in high fashion in silicon valley
1: right Um, so we're currently um, uh, finalizing our uh, fund, but we 're as a venture capital firm we 're we are seeing that there 's actually increased interest in um, how to actually how to change the way we do things and, and especially what is next for clean tech like what is next in technology? Well, how do we um, use what what ha- what is happening with the cost curves of solar with the let's say transportation ch- getting electrified? What how do we um, create new business models around sensors beca- becoming ubiquitous and data and analytics be- being um, very easy to scale and um, going on the cloud and on the edge? So um, looking at um investors and sort of energy majors i would say there's a lot of interest as as gabe mentioned um also corporates so currently um i was just reading so there's 270 corporate venture capital firms that are currently active today so it's one of the highest we've ever seen and um it's we uh it's something that that um we can collaborate with corporates on deals we can syndicate Um, it's it 's very interesting to be in a, in a place where it's not only the institutional capital anymore but you have this whole ecosystem support where institutions are now finally interested um, sort of the government is on board and provides very interesting gra- uh, you know very supportive grants to early stage companies but then you also have the in, the more traditional like utilities you have, you know Intel and Google and Samsung all setting up their fu- their funds to support these companies So we're we as, as a financial um, Player in, in the middle of all of that um, what we can do is leverage all these um, connections and introduce, for example, the startups that we work with to our, um, to LPs who are much more interested in, in working with these startups and could bring them, you know, to the next stage of, of their business.
3: LPs being uh, limited partners. Uh, uh, Lydia, let's also talk about about career paths. Um, been a lot written lately in terms of, you know, the kind of the male culture in Silicon Valley. Um, you have four uh, partners who came over from Kleiner. So tell us about the career paths, particularly for women in venture and in energy, not an industry known for a lot of women executives.
1: Sure. Um, well, it's definitely a very exciting place to be, and I'm, I'm honored to be here. And I can tell you a little bit more of how I got to where I am today, uh, how I got to venture capital. Um, so I started as an as electrical engineer uh, back in undergrad, got really interested in the clean, energy, clean tech space, environmental space, um, was able to take advantage of my liberal arts curriculum to to explore what what energy means, what what uh, global warming means for the world and uh, look at it not just from a technical perspective, but also from a pl- policy perspective, from an econ perspective and see that it's it's a problem that we, we cannot just solve with technology alone we, it's something that it's a much more, um, you know, broad and difficult problem that um, that that you need a lot of different um, skill sets to to tackle. Um, so that's how I got really interested, eventually, to to go into business school. Uh, and in between, I I worked at a startup which was doing energy efficiency. So I was in Asia for two years, working at commercial industrial energy efficiency and figuring out how do we make you know large commercial buildings save energy, save water, and resources. Um, and combining that with with my Uh, Path to business school and kind of seeing how how this all ties together like what it means to you know for a business to Put together its business plan its marketing strategy. It's you know channels sales channels put together a team um, How this all fits together with everything I knew from before? Um, so this now allows me to be uh, a much more productive venture capital investor and look at problems not just from a technical perspective, but also from a business perspective and it is yeah I would say it's a very male dominated um industry for for sure and being at conferences and uh, I was just at a logistics conference last month in Atlanta where um it was almost all men but <laughs> it's it's exciting to see that the change is happening and we we just hired another associate who who's also female so there's change going in that direction.
3: And the women are associates, the men are partners. Is there a plan for right, making so, that equal?
1: <laughs> yeah. event I would say not, it's not there yet, but that's the path. Yeah.
3: Davida, let's hear your experience as, as a female CEO, you know, <coughs> doing, uh, you know, sure. raising money. You know, how was your experience going out there with a new company saying, trust in me, invest in me?
4: Sure. I mean, I, you know, I can only speak from my experience, but I, but I can say that my experience certainly reflects the numbers. Right now, about 2% of all venture capital goes to women-founded companies. Half a percent goes to women of color. And, uh, and within that pool, there's a very small group of women founders that are going after hard tech problems and so or a small group of women founders going after hard tech problems that are getting funded um, so uh, so I'll just say you know that was definitely my experience and it, it you know it did introduce a lot of challenges um, I think that there's a need for for role models for for women founded companies to get funded for those companies to get celebrated those stories stories to get told um, and and to and to elevate that so that it's not just we're not just an anomaly but we're an example of of what's possible and I think you know like Lydia spoke to you know these any complex systems challenge is going to re- going to require a lot of diverse perspectives and so um, that is fundamental to solving the challenge of climate change to solving the transition to uh, to a new uh, energy foundation and uh, and that requires a diversity of representation and voices and insights and 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 domains and so I think it's you know A a lot of work needs to be done in this space, Um, but it's exciting to be uh, sort of in the middle of that transition.
3: Uh, Gabriel, let's ask you when you're looking at you get lots of pitches, Mm -hmm. lots of the companies, you know, do you look for women CEOs, founders, uh, entrepreneurs? Is it hard? Do Do you try extra hard? How do you approach that? So this is a
2: topic that we talk about a lot internally. Uh, like G2VP, we're a small firm. There's two partners. Both of us are, are, are men. Um, and then we have two principles uh, of a woman and a man. And we are acutely aware that while we're in that one metric, we're doing better than most firms. We're, you know That's actually a recent development for us, and it's, it's not sufficient. I don't want to be up here on stage and sort of claiming a, a leadership mantle on this. It's something we talk about. It's something we think about. Uh, and I think the the model that I have in my head uh, is that and, and we haven't excuse me, we haven't succeeded enough um, in 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 investing in enough uh, women CEOs or. And I think our portfolio right now is I don't know that we have any right now in, in our portfolio, which is not anything to be anything but embarrassed about. Um, but I think it's it has to be something um, that we're aware of, that we focus on and that we continue to try and improve. I I had a. I had a conversation with my wife uh, two or three days ago where she was telling me about somebody who came to speak uh, at an event and she said, yeah, my friend invited this professor from Stanford to talk about this issue, a law professor from Stanford to talk about this issue. And I said, oh, yeah, so this guy showed up and she said, oh, my God, that was implicit bias. (laughs) And I said, no, it wasn't. I was just using that term generically said. no, you weren't. <laughs> and I and, and I stopped and, and, I, and I said, OK, yeah, you're right. Because she, she said this conversation is not moving forward until you acknowledge that. <laughs> right. And and so I stopped and I said, OK, you're right. And, and and it's just something we have to continually work on. We're not we're not doing enough, but we're trying.
3: I have a 14 year old daughter who, who hits me with that's a gendered statement, yeah. you know, and yeah. stops my me daughter my does tracks. the same as well. Uh, just to share the transparency, Climate One thinks very closely about the, the speakers. We bring her up on stage. We think we have a role. We kind of give people a spotlight uh, over the last couple of years. It's about 60, 40 men, women, not what it should be. Um, But we look hard, you know, in in an energy sector and senior government positions, senior corporate positions. Right. We think uh, we still want to get to that 50 50 point. We think that's okay given the population of people that we have have to draw from. Lydia, you talk about uh, being a bystander. You know, you get to invest in in companies. You ever get the itch to kind of get in and run a company yourself?
1: Right. Um, I guess it's something probably that a lot of venture capitalists think about or or (laughs) maybe even struggle with. Um, I. Do, so, having been at a startup for two years, it was really exciting to see what it actually what it means to be in the trenches. What it means to you know meet sales forecasts and ha- you know decide about what's next for the company. Uh, I guess I was I was just you know on the, as as a biz dev person and engineer, but um, just seeing how difficult it is to to make all these steps um, really makes me appreciate now when I when I look at companies and I, I listen to pitches to to hear. Um, the stories and and the the big vision that that every entrepreneur comes comes to our office with um, and to understand, like, what it would actually mean to scale this business, to really get to to where this entrepreneur wants to be in the next, let's say, three to five to seven years. So I would say I do do have this, you know, it's to maybe... Go into that back into the startup world, but for now it's been really, really exciting to you know to be on the investor' seat and um, really get to explore so many different technologies and um, sort of be able to jump through you know, different industries from energy to transportation to agriculture on a daily basis, which is something I probably couldn't do in a startup.
3: You have the variety, but you're, kind of, you're on the sideline. Gabriel, you ever have the uh, impulse to kind of get in the game and have to deal with guys like you who invest in your company? <laughs> no,
2: no, I wouldn't want it. I wouldn't wish that on anybody, <laughs> anything but my entrepreneurs. <laughs> um, I worked at startups uh, and in operational companies for eight or 10 years, and that was amazing. And it was a, an incredible education and then my first CEO here in Silicon Valley sort of set told me and I didn't quite understand what he was saying He was like, your first job is to hire your replacement, mm-hmm. right? So what I'm when I'm looking for at entrepreneurs, I just want to find people who are better than me, who are harder working, smarter, more creative and the best ones. Gosh, they do things that they solve problems and tackle challenges that blow me away. Uh, and so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of content being able to uh, find incredible people, find great people with huge ideas and, and maybe help them execute rather than being the one in the front line because I don't think I could handle that. They're, they're awesome.
3: <laughs> so, Davida, you're, you're the, the awesome one, the, the brave one on the front lines. If you yeah. weren't running a company, what other role would you like in the clean tech field? What do you think is really exciting?
4: probably running another company. <laughs> 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 um, you know, I, I am really, and, and that's true, I mean, I am just... Um, I see so much opportunity right now at the nexus of uh, you know, the IOT and sensors and data and analytics and AI to really help us understand, uh, to provide us the data and insights to adapt, uh, to climate change and to mitigate its effects. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I I think now that I've run a company and, and, and I'm in the middle of sort of, you know, really sort of taking the the company to market, I think maybe, you know, partnering with other entrepreneurs who are trying to solve really hard problems. So maybe one day I'll, you know, sit in their seat. Um, you know, being some of my favorite investors are the ones that have been operators in the past and, and, who, and who really understand how difficult it is to get companies like ours off, off the ground. And so I think there's a lot of value that comes from that synergy in the ecosystem.
3: So a serial entrepreneur, okay. We're, we're talking about clean tech at Climate One. I'm Greg Dalton. We're going to go to our lightning round. Quick true or false questions to each of our guests, uh, starting with uh, Lydia Dervisheva. True or false, venture capitalists are not as smart as they think they are.
1: <laughs> false.
3: <laughs> Davida, true or false, Silicon Valley has a poor record investing in innovative startups in the energy sector. True. Gabriel Krah, true or false, the HBO series Silicon Valley is an excellent documentary. (laughs) (laughs) True. (laughs) Lydia, true or false, uh, the best way to attract capital from white men who attended Stanford is to be a white man who attended Stanford. (laughs) False. Davida, uh, you have a fully stocked earthquake disaster kit in your home, true or false? False. Uh,
4: I, I like risk. So.
3: <laughs> 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 um, Lydia, you have a fully stocked earthquake disaster kit in your home.
1: False.
3: <laughs> oh, the risk takers here. Final one for Gabriel Craw. True or false. Your company considered sea level rise when at least office space on a pier extending into San Francisco Bay. True. Mm-hmm. You made the bet. We'll, be, we'll, we'll have to wait until the end of the lease to see exactly. how that bet turns out. Let's give them a round of applause for getting through that lightning round. <laughs> Lydia, you said something that I rarely hear <laughs> from Silicon Valley people, which is you think there's ex- are exciting careers in the regulatory space. What do you mean by that?
1: Right. So going into energy, there's. The policy side, then there's technology, or the way at least I see it, po- policy, technology, and business. And there's one you can contribute in one way or another, and you're always going to be probably an expert in one of these, or be really hone on your skills in one of these, um, and probably understand a little bit of the others. Um, and from from my experience, I've developed a little bit more on the technical and business side, but really not that much into policy. And I think that that there's a lot to be done on the in the White House, a lot of what can be changed um, and and as we're speaking, like things are changing i mean uh, as as you've read in the news, like every new home in California will have to have solar very soon and every every home and every small residential building so that's a big change that mostly came from regulations, whether that's you know the right decision or not it's definitely a step in the right direction, and I think there's you know just Policy as enabler of a lot of the, the technologies that, that we invest in, and a lot of the you know interesting uh, companies we look at. Policy is one of the key things that we always consider: is there a policy risk? Is there a policy enabler? Is there something really to think about that would change in the future that that is related to energy policy?
3: Davida, how about you? Is, is policy a supporter or an obstacle in what you're trying to do? Because you're trying to you're providing information in a real gap that wasn't there for people on a local level.
4: Right. I mean, I think we are showing that there's new opportunities to, to fill in that gap. And um, regulation, I think one of the reasons regulation can be so powerful is it can create entirely new markets. And so I think you know, although uh, you know, there's, there's big changes happening at the federal level, we see a lot of progressive movement at the state level, at the city level. Uh, recently, the state of California you know, passed an amendment to the cap and trade bill um, that is going to require local monitoring. Um, and it's because these new capabilities are now emerging. And so I think there's tremendous opportunity as regulation catches up with these new technological capabilities.
3: Gabriel Kraw, there's a lot of talk these days in American cities and around the world about new electric mobility, mm. bike sharing. We have scooters now on the streets, electric powered uh, skateboards in, in the bus lanes. Uh, that's you know, driven by you know, cell phone battery technology largely. To address that in terms of you know, the disruption that's bringing the, the policy regulation, whether that's a good thing for getting around town. Well, you know, you gave us a little
2: warning that you wanted to to talk about this. I was in uh, Beijing last week and I got to ride around on a bike share bike, which was it actually changed my opinion a bit because it was a it was fun. B, it was the most convenient and the quickest way. And it was super cheap. So three different things. So I think that, the, the, you know, what we're talking about in, the, in these things is the last mile of how we get around, right? Yeah. A, a bike share, a scooter is not going to change how we go from here to Palo Alto or let alone here to New York or something like that. But in the city, how we how we choose to get around and what's the quickest, most cost effective, most convenient and maybe fun way to get around. That's that's changing a lot of things. Uh, and I don't have an honest uh, Firm opinion about what is going to win and what I really like there. I walk out and see all the electric scooters on the streets of San Francisco that you know just appeared overnight, uh, and and I'm I'm dubious uh, and I'm dubious not whether they're fun or whether they're cost effective. I don't know necessarily about the unit economics, although they appear really attractive to own those assets. I'm dubious of whether I want those things all over the city that I spend you know all uh, so much of my time on. And you know if you go to Beijing, you see there are cartloads of bikes being schlepped around the city at all times because they end up where they don't want them and they end up where they don't need them and they got to move them. And apparently there's piles and mountains of bikes being discarded there. Yeah. So there's there's negative ramifications to that, too. Uh, But I think it is absolutely, you know, in 10 years or even probably five years uh, when things start to settle out the mode of transportation that we choose at different places is going to be fundamentally different from what it was and is today. Lydia
3: Dervisheva, you uh, noted that one of the the scooter electric scooters actually started in a very unlikely place, Los Angeles.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah.
3: So tell us how that unfolded and whether you think, if we know whether these scooter rides are displacing Uber and Lyft rides.
1: Yeah. Um, So I want to do, to briefly talk about birds, uh, which you've probably seen around and they're, not the only company they're one of three actually deploying scooters right now on the streets especially in san francisco and n- now soon in other cities as well um but as gabe said like i think it is about electrifying the last mile and those uh modes of transportation they are dockless they are shared and they're electric and that's that's a big change from how we uh, you know get around today and um and that's Similar to to what um, our investment thesis is to look at what are what are new business models of existing technologies of what you know will of something that will get traction and um, will actually change the way we do things. And um, in terms of sort of the the people's aspect it is very fun to scoot through the streets and it has you know a, a social aspect it has a, a community aspect that you can uh do these things with your friends of course you're not allowed to ride them <laughs> with with more than one person but it's an exciting new change that that i think has has large potential
3: do we know if it's displacing what, what are those people uh, just not walking and hopping on a scooter is it you know is it displacing taxi rides do we know that yet
1: um i I don't think there's been enough studies done, but at least when when I have the choice, it's typically with, between where these modes of transportation work is the less than two mile trip. And that's typically it's a long walk or a short bicycle ride if you have a bicycle or it can be a very short Uber ride, which will take you some time to order and get the car. But it's just happens to be much more efficient, fast and easy to just take an electric shared vehicle.
3: Davida, let's ask you, what are some of the big, exciting uh, sectors you think where there's, a, you know, other than what you're doing yourself, if you were to start that second company, mm-hmm. uh, what is, what's the sector you think is ripe for disruption or you know, there's really exciting things going on? I mean,
4: I think what's happening in ag right now and, mm-hmm. and food um, and, and feeding the, the, the world's population is probably one of the most exciting areas. Um, I think the impacts of ag on, on uh, climate emissions are uh, something we, we critically need to address. And so a lot of the type of uh, work that Prelude is investing in and alternative uh, sources of things like milk, alternative meats uh, sources, I think this is really a tremendous opportunity um, that's critical to solving the climate challenge.
3: Lydia, you've looked at some vertical agricultural firms. Place any bets yet in ag?
1: Uh, not yet, actually, but it's it's a sector that I'm also really excited about. Um, also, from the from an imaging perspective, there's a lot that now we can find out just by looking at pictures of you know uh, crops or a field and understanding what are the actual issues with the crop what are the humidity levels what, are, what is the soil like um, does the plant get enough nutrients like do we need more pesticides so there's a lot of data so combining you know data with imagery and where we've gotten with data analytics to to create these new solutions is um, a very very exciting vertical that we're looking at
3: Gabriel Krah, there's a company called Pivot Bio that does. Tell us about that. So
2: I think we we firmly believe that food and ag is a a majorly uh, exciting, impactful, and hopefully very, very profitable uh, segment to invest in. Uh, And before I get to Pivot, you know, there's a bunch of different ways to tackle that problem. Something like 3% of all the electricity produced or consumed on the planet is to fix nitrogen, which means the nitrogen in our atmosphere... Uh, N2 is not uh, accessible to plants. It has to be it has to be reduced. And that's called fixing nitrogen and in, in, in trade jargon. And that's there's this big industrial process that was invented in the 1900s, early 1900s, that produces ammonia. And from ammonia, you can make things like fertilizer. Now, that that's a big carbon problem because it takes so much energy to do that. It's a big pollutant problem because we dump so much fertilizer on our on our fields that eventually we, we deplete them of other nutrients. We cause toxic algal blooms, all sorts of problems. Um, but when that was invented, it actually ha- was the biggest impact on world hunger that, that, that the world has ever seen. So like this thing that was amazing also had a lot of negative ramifications. So what Pivot Bio is doing uh, is it was it, the company was founded by uh, a Ph.D., a couple of guys uh, and I'm not using that in a gendered way. They, they were two guys, <laughs> excuse me. Um, but a couple of PhDs from uh, I think USF, and they said, you know, we used, there used to be microbes that lived on the root systems of corn and other row crops that were able to fix nitrogen, uh, meaning take atmospheric nitrogen and turn it into a form that the plant could grow, uh, could utilize, and. Uh, Those things all went dormant once we started dumping fertilizer onto the fields. And so what they said is we can take these take these uh, microbes, we can improve them. They do it in a way that's actually still not a GMO, not a genetically modified organism. And then we put them on the uh, corn roots. And as the corn grows, as the plant grows, the microbial population grows with it. So it's giving it a constant, steady microdose of fertilizer produced in a completely non-destructive, non-energy intensive way. And that's pivot bio. That's one of the things that one of the ways we see using really sophisticated technology that, you know, the the techniques that they use didn't exist 10 years ago. Five years ago, even, they were still being developed to have a huge impact and and build a really big, profitable company.
3: Before we get to audience questions, I want to start with Davida and ask, you know, uh, about the urgency. We're talking about technology, a lot of things happening. Uh, We know that we recently, uh, the world uh, spent a month, I think, at 410 parts per million. With you in the climate conversation, that number kind of stops you for a minute. It seems like we just passed 400, not that long ago. Um, So, Davida, let's talk about, you know, is this technology known for moving fast, you know, How do you feel about the urgency of the climate numbers that you know?
4: I mean, I think... It's probably what I struggle with the most, right? I have to have the discipline to build, you know, all the foundations of the company and bring in investors. And I just, I wish I could snap my fingers and just, you know, and just, and just be uh, scaling this solution globally right now, because we know for a fact that this data, we see what the data is telling us um, and all the stories embedded in the data, not just about global emissions, but about hyperlocal communities that are impacted and exposed to levels of pollution that you might see in countries that have no regulatory framework and so the urgency of the problem is so uh, uh, tremendous! Um, I, I, uh, it's the reason, you know, my, my team and I work the kinds of days that we do and, and put in the effort that we do. But I think getting this data and this information out into the hands of millions of people can then distribute actions so that we can and empower distributed actions so that we can actually start to aggregate a lot of small actions around the world uh, uh, to really provide that accelerant. That's how we see our our position in the world. Ultimately, that's our vision for what we want to do. But there there's a, there's the human path to getting there. Right.
3: Gabriel, do you ever get a lump in your stomach when you, you, you know, the math, mm-hmm. you know, the math is daunting. Do you ever get a lump in your stomach and say, Oh, this tech is great, but uh, you know, is tech going to save us? A lot of people think that the techno optimism technology will save us. You, yeah. I mean, a- absolutely. I not once in a while, my
2: kids and I, we love skiing and my family would go skiing all the time. And Uh, we, we have semi-regular conversations about, you know, will there be skiing in Tahoe in 20 years? And, you know, it's, it's an emotional issue for me. That's why I got into this. Eventually I had a long, long winding path to get where I am, but that, you know, it was that urgency that that lump in the throat or the knot
3: in the belly that got me where I am. And do you talk about that with, uh, you know, investment people, you know, I mean, I even find in the climate conversation, people don't, you know, either wallow in it or push it away. They, they don't really want to deal with it. They have a hard time, kind of, I don't know, holding it in balance, acknowledging it. You either kind of, some people sink into it yeah. <laughs> and go dark, and I would say Jim Hansen has done that. <laughs> you know, Staring at models will do that. Um, how, how do you find that balance? Uh, you know,
2: I, I'm in. We are maybe in a unique or very un uncommon situation at Prelude we invest in companies only in companies that we believe can have a big impact on greenhouse gas or greenhouse gas equivalents when they're successful so we look at that that's you know that's what you need to have to come in the door and pitch us
3: and are you doing that because you think you're going to make a lot of money or because you're worried about looking at your kids in the eye in 20 years and saying daddy what did you do well from a personal perspective
2: certainly the latter is a large part of it but from a limited partnership managing f- group of general partners from people who are managing other people's money. We are looking at it like we can do this and make a lot of money with it. And we found limited partners who believed in that vision and who who are investing on an ongoing basis their money to enable us to do that. So we don't we don't we have the luxury of not spending a lot of time worrying about it because that's all we do. So we don't have to weigh one against the other so once we see something that can have that impact then we just flip it over and say okay is this a good investment or not
3: and lydia you've been out you know pitching trying to get investors you know uh vcs you know it's about the numbers right but you know how do you handle that that human emotional part of the urgency that we've been talking
1: about yeah um i would say so similar to what uh gabe said it's it's about finding what the businesses and the business models that also have an impact. And as these businesses scale, you not only scale financially and you expand your you know, product and services, but you also create more impact. So it becomes like a, a synergy that, that, come, that works together. So when you find these businesses that both uh, impact the environment but also have a viable model of, of how they make money, that's where you really have um, a sustainable model that that you can grow forward. And, of course, having the right people to do that with the right vision. So the human aspect, I would say, it is... Uh, mission driven like uh, I am very excited about what the the entrepreneurs that we support are doing and it's amazing to be part of that journey I mean still uh, I'm still not on any of these boards but being able to to be part of the path and as a venture investor to support these entrepreneurs to give them advice to do everything you possibly can to guide them along that path of um, both scaling a business model and changing um, the the climate change scenario.
3: Interesting. We're talking about clean tech at Climate One. Our guests are Gabriel Kraw, Managing Director of Prelude Ventures, Davida Herzl, CEO of ACLIMA, and Lydia Dervisheva with G2 Venture Partners. I'm Greg Dalton. We're going to go to our audience question. Welcome to Climate One. Hi. Uh, Lydia talked about policy being a a driver. And in this world of of post-Paris Accord with the U.S. technically or trying to withdraw – uh, do you still see policy being a driver globally, and other nations still embracing that, and those policies helping to drive forward investment in this sector? Lydia
1: Um Sure. I would say definitely yes. Just look at transportation. Um, so many countries have already made their commitments of uh, their ban on uh, the internal combustion engine, and that's that's huge. That's something that we've been used as as a mode of transportation for decades. That's now going away very slowly, but gradually, and it's happening. So we have, for example, uh, France and the Netherlands have committed to just banning, uh, you know, diesel and and regular cars. Where uh, China is thinking about a ban. The U.S. I'm not sure is there yet, but California is actually considering, you know, either having all cars on the road to be electric by a certain uh, year or some other form of of regulation. But that is definitely something that's like a huge impact that's global it's a trend that we're seeing and i think it's it will take a few years but it's happening
3: let's go to our next question welcome to climate one
1: Hi, I'm Charlie Vogelheim. I'm an automotive journalist, and I know you talked about modes of transportation, but I'd love to hear your comment on actually adaptation of electric vehicles. I mean, I know it's uh, it's a great promise in the future. We talked about internal combustion engines being prohibited, but uh, again, uh, here in the U.S., they're just not being adapted at a very significant percentage.
3: Autonomous, connected, electric, and shared. Aces, who'd like to talk about that? Lydia?
1: Sure. Well, so... You're right. The, the adoption rate for electric vehicles is much slower than, than people initially thought it would be. But um, what I wanted to add is things are changing. So this year we're expecting a million cars, electric cars in the U.S. to be sold, which is still if you, uh, I'm not sure if you know the numbers, but that's still a very small percentage of total cars. And.
3: About 16 million sold in the country. Right. You're saying a million will have a plug, maybe some yeah. gasoline, maybe all electric.
1: And some of them are electric. Some of them are hy- electric hybrid. But what is changing is the trend. So it's going it's to take time until we see the majority of cars to be electric. And there's going to be a lot of um, changes in infrastructure required, a lot of charging stations, both, you know, out on the streets, um, at you know, in the city and also at homes, but also figuring out what are new let's say new car ownership models what are new how do we actually share this this new infrastructure how do we um finance these these new vehicles that are now shared that are you know electric um and it becomes more more of a car as a service model rather than car ownership or it's something probably hybrid in between but it's a trend that, it, that is definitely happening right now in in the u.s
3: Davida, uh, you're working with Google. A lot of the the initial Google cars were were burning gasoline. You know, how does electrification fit into your business plan?
4: Yeah, so uh, initially, right, we wanted to prove our our methodology, and we were doing oversampling. So we were driving every day for... For 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 years, um, uh, but ultimately, that's our vision: is to to really leverage uh, what's happening in mixed mode transportation. So, um, uh, attaching our sensors to different kinds of uh, vehicles, but also ultimately, number one, providing the data to validate the shift towards electrification, and ultimately, really uh, leveraging uh, electrified vehicles to to do this kind of mapping.
3: Gabriel, Craw, I'd like to ask you, looking back over your, your uh, career, some of the deals that got away—ones that you're like, <laughs> "Oh, you know, you had a chance at Tesla. You or the firm had a chance at Tesla. Pass." What are some ones that you like? Ah, oh, like to get that back.
2: Oh, uh, the, the 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 negative portfolio. <laughs> you know, we we met this uh, we met this entrepreneur. I met him. Uh, gosh, <laughs> your colleague Brooke introduced me to this guy by the name of Ryan Respecki who uh, had a company called Sobi Social Bicycles. And Uh so I said I mentioned my trip to Beijing, riding around on a bike share that I just did a few days ago. Ryan was a, a great entrepreneur. He came by, he talked to us. He, he then, he started talking to Victoria, the, the principal at my firm, and we never quite got the economics of bike sharing models and, and, you know, what exactly he was going to do. Even though we really liked him, he seemed like a really good entrepreneur. And I knew the other investors, the seed stage investors, and they said, no, Ryan's going to figure it out. And uh, they sold for an undisclosed amount of money to Uber recently, Jump Bicycles. They changed their name. And and we had every opportunity to invest in that.
3: Lydia, uh, you maybe haven't been there long enough. They've seen lots of pitches. Or maybe you have tips on, on some pitch foibles, things not to do if you're pitching, like pitch just like, oh, really?
1: Um, sure, yeah. So um, something interesting that comes to mind is um, maybe ha- having an idea, but being very, um, you know, maybe a bit too realistic of where your business will go. <laughs> so I guess as a founder, you always um kind of look in into the future and say okay we're we're gonna gonna grow this business you know 5x next year and 3x again and you know get to 100 million revenue in five years and um most venture capitalists say yeah sure um you know it's very hard to get there but this is impressive that that you're seeing this path and you're seeing your margins improving you're seeing you know expansion to all these new markets and new channels Um, so i would say um we we like entrepreneurs who are realistic, and um, if they're too, too pessimistic or, or the vision is, is not big enough, sometimes we would, we would pass on the deal just because we, we want to see that, you know, that passion and that optimism to create something big. And, and most founders are huge optimists.
0: Greg Dalton has been talking about innovations in cool, clean technology. His guests were Davida Herzl, the co-founder and CEO of Aclama, Gabriel Krah, managing director at Prelude Ventures, and Lydia Dervisheva, an associate at G2VP. To hear all our Climate One conversations, subscribe to our podcast at our website, climateone.org, where you'll also find photos, video clips, and more. If you like the program, please let us know by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And join us next time for another conversation about America's energy, economy, and environment.
3: Climate One is a special project of the Commonwealth Club of California. Kelly Pennington and Sarah Catherine Coxon run our audience engagement. Tyler Reed is our producer. The audio engineers are Mark Kirshner and Justin Norton. Annie Chelsea and Devin Strolovich edit the show... I'm Greg Dalton, the executive producer and host. The Commonwealth Club's CEO is Dr. Gloria Duffy. Climate One is produced in association with KQED Public Radio.